0: Hey, good morning again, everybody. And I want to say welcome right now to people who are joining us online. We're really glad that you're here, even if you can't be here physically in our presence right now. I know some of you are far away, sometimes even in different countries. And I'm glad that you're here for this opportunity we have to learn from God's Word together. Here in this space, our ushers are going to come up the aisles with Bibles in just a moment. Uh, In a few moments, we're going to be opening our Bibles and learning from God's Word together. So if you have one, you might want to get it handy. If not, please feel free to borrow one from the ushers as they come down the aisles. And you can put it on the table or the shelf in the back of the room after worship today. And let me begin by saying this. Happy Easter! Happy Easter! Man, that went pretty well. That was better than I thought that would go, actually. It seems a little weird to say that today, right? A little confusing, because Easter was last week. But did you know that in Christian tradition, Easter is not only a day, Easter's a season. As a matter of fact, it's 50 days long, almost two months. It goes until the next major Christian holiday, called Pentecost. And I think it's really important that Easter's a season. And we don't think about this often enough, honestly. But if Jesus is raised from the dead, then don't you think it'd take you more than one day to get used to that? You know? It, it, it's, worth a, it's worth a couple of months of celebrating that and learning how we live in living relationship with the living God, right? And this is what we're going to be talking about. Pastor Angie and I have worked together to prepare a series for our worship and growth groups for the next several weeks where that's our focus a living relationship with the living God specifically how we communicate with God. The the simple word that we use for this often is pray. It's a series on prayer. And about a month ago or so, it might have been a little over a month ago, many of you actually filled a little questionnaire. If you were here that Sunday, we just did it in worship and asked you to share some of your experiences and questions and challenges in prayer. And thank you so much for taking a couple minutes to do that. You helped us help our church to think about what do we really need and what are the questions that we have. And even last week, if you were here on Easter, a lot of you filled out those little leaves that are hanging on the trees out there in our lobby, and we left those up for this week. And I went through and read just about as many of those as I could find. Part of, I think, our prayerful journeys for each of us in response to what God's doing in our lives. And this week on Tuesday morning, our staff, for about a half an hour before our staff meeting, went out there and picked a tree and just kind of prayed through, each of us prayed through the prayer requests that are on those trees. We're going to spend the next four weeks focusing on this topic, learning how to pray, how to live in living relationship. With the living God. And I'll tell you up front, I kind of have two big goals for this series. The first one is that we would understand what Christian prayer is and why we pray. There's a lot of questions to answer there that we grow in our understanding. And then second, that we would pray more and pray with more engagement. Maybe even more importantly, that we'd pray with more engagement. That we understand why we're doing what we're doing, what this is, and that it would result in us praying with praying more and with more engagement. Prayer in some form is a nearly universal human experience. Studies of the contemporary world, studies of cultures around the world and throughout history show that people in nearly every place and every time had some form of prayer. And those forms could be very different and may have understood that they were doing very different things by it. But there was some response, some calling out to God by nearly everyone who's ever lived. In fact, I read a study recently that said that even among those people who self-identify as atheists, and that's a growing number in our own population of people say, I don't believe that. I don't believe there's something else out there, somebody out there. On the same studies where people would describe themselves as atheists often also report praying with some regularity. And that may initially be a little bit hard to understand. I'm not sure that I grasp all the categories myself. And yet I think that it's evidence that somewhere in the human heart is this universal response to the God who made us. A a hunger, a crying out to God somehow. One of the ways that I think people in our culture, many of us, connect with the idea at least, if not the practice of prayer that can be kind of confusing is in that slogan that so many of us just throw around so easily. Do you know the slogan that we use when we respond to tragedy? And there seems to be tragedy in the news more and more these days. Thoughts and prayers, right? Thoughts and prayers. I'm lifting up thoughts and prayers or I'm sending you thoughts and prayers. I honestly don't know what that means, but we say it's I'm sending you my thoughts and prayers across the vibes or across the universe or something. I mean, at its best, I think what we mean is you're on my mind, I'm thinking about you, You're not forgotten. You matter to me. This thing matters. You're in my thoughts. And and I want God's best for you, right? I want rescue for you, healing for you, saving for you, not just for you, but for the situation, for the world. And so we lift up somehow thoughts and prayers. I think at our best, we probably mean something like that. At its worst, it might just be a way to say something when we don't know what to say and don't want to think about it anymore, and we just want to get out of the situation. So thoughts and prayers, I'm sending you thoughts and prayers. I know at least some of my non-Christian friends, I've talked to them about this, that that expression has kind of convinced them to have a little bit lower opinion of Christian prayer than they would have had otherwise, because it has seemed to them like an excuse for inaction. Something bad happened, and maybe I could help with that, but the truth is I don't want to help with that, so I'll just say thoughts and prayers. And man, that matters to me that that's happening in their minds and in their hearts, and then, you know, a lot of Christian material that I read about prayer, and I like, I like to read books about prayer, teaching about prayer. A lot of the stuff that I find from Christians that, that can be helpful, but also I think sometimes kind of gets the focus wrong, is a real heavy focus on technique. A real heavy focus on prayer as a, as a tool or a pattern or a technique. And like I've got multiple books in my office that kind of focus on making sure that you pray the right words, you know, Pray the right prayer. Find this prayer and pray this prayer. And pray it at the right time, which usually means often enough with great frequency. Pray the right prayer at the right time. And then there's oftentimes a lot of emphasis on pray it with the right amount of confidence. Screw up your courage and your internal feeling of faith. And if you believe it hard enough, if you say the right words at the right times with the right amount of faith, then God will finally do what you're badgering him to do. Now, I don't know that learning how to pray good words often enough, and with faith is wrong. I don't think that it is, but it seems like the focus is a little out of place. And in the teaching example that we learn from Jesus, I think there's an opportunity for us to grow in exactly the goals that I have for this series, to grow in a little clearer understanding of what prayer is and why we pray, and hopefully some help to pray more and and with more and better engagement with God in our prayer. And so We're going to read today what is probably Jesus' central teaching on prayer. But before we get to that, I want to put an image in your mind to try to communicate what it is that I hope that we'll all see in this passage. And so I want to call an image to mind for you. What image comes to your mind when I say the word telephone? Do you have an image in your mind for a phone, right? Maybe you're picturing one of those old-timey things with the rotating dial. What's that even called? A rotary dial. It's so long ago. I don't remember, and the cord on the side and the handle you pick up right here. Or maybe you're picturing something more like the microcomputer you keep in your pocket that has a phone app that you use for everything but making phone calls. Maybe you're picturing that phone. I don't know. You're picturing a phone, okay? Now, I want you to repeat something after me. I'm going to say it once, and then I'll ask you to repeat it after me. It's not about the phone, okay? Say it with me. It's not about the phone, when you talk to somebody on the phone, are you really interested in the phone? Is the, phone the phone helps you connect. I mean, it's useful technology or whatever other app you're using on your phone to connect, which is usually not a phone app, but whatever. It's not about that so much, right? What we really want is the person on the other end of the line. That's what matters to us, knowing who that person is. That's why we call them, not because the phone is so cool. I mean, after the first couple days. After that, it's about the person on the other end of the line, right? So also with prayer. Or think about it this way. Think about relationships you have in your life that are important to you in any number of environments. could be professional colleagues, people you work with, close friends. If you're married, could be your spouse. You have probably learned some things about how to communicate with that person, right? You have learned, don't ever talk to this person before they have their coffee, right? That's just one of the things that maybe you've learned. <laughs> or you've learned to use I statements. When you this, I feel that. That can be helpful, Right? Or what I think what I hear you saying is, and can I repeat that back to you, and I want to make sure I'm hearing what you're saying, you've maybe learned some communication tools, right? These are tools I've tried to learn over the years. But really, is that the most important thing? No, they help us toward the most important thing, which is knowing and understanding and being in relationship with the person on the other end of the conversation. So also in prayer, right? Over the course of this series, I want to help you with some of this stuff. Pastor Angie and I want to help you with how to get started if you really don't even know how to start praying or how to grow in your prayer life. But what we really want to start today and keep in focus over the course of this journey together is who's on the other end of the line? Who and what is the character and the heart of this God to whom we are praying? So let's start by reading Jesus' central teaching on prayer together. It's Matthew chapter 6. You can open up your Bibles with me. If you have a Quest Bible, it's on page 14, 19, or find it in your your phone app, in your Bible app on your phone. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses uh, 5 through 13 together. And as you find your page there, let me just uh, set you up a little bit. What we're gonna see in this reading is that Jesus uses a central image for describing how we relate to God in prayer, for who God is in prayer. And the image that he uses in this teaching, and not coincidentally, in many other passages, specifically on prayer, is the image of Father, of God as Father. And that can be immensely helpful or potentially misleading. And the, the danger is that we will take all of our own experiences with fathers and just apply them to God and go, God must be like that. And if we've had good experiences with our human fathers, that may be helpful to some degree, though even there, we really want to know what Jesus means by this more than what experience we've had. And many of us have had not so good experiences with human fathers. Maybe we've experienced distance or coldness or lack of care or abuse in some situations. And these are not the attributes that Jesus wants us to associate with God as our Father. So what we're going to do here is read through this passage and see how Jesus actually describes God. What are the characteristics that we learn about the one to whom we're praying? And if if you're a note taker, I'd encourage you to maybe make some notes about this as we go along. I'm going to give you some, and you may see some things you want to write down on your own. So let's read this passage. I'll start reading it to you here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus said, And when you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Okay, tell the truth. How many of you are actually faced with that temptation? I just want to stand up and have everyone see how awesome I am at praying right now. That's what I want to do, right? I I think on the contrary, most of us have a fear that I would like not for you to see me pray, right, out loud. I think in both cases, actually, Jesus' word can be a gift to us, a reminder that it's, it's really not about how well you pray. Whether you think you're good at it or you think you're bad at it, that's kind of not the point. It's about communicating in relationship with God. So it kind of helps us anyway. And Jesus says, Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, now he gives a positive example or instruction, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Well, we learned something about God. God is invisible. The Bible tells us elsewhere that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus, but our Father is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you, but God sees. God sees what is done in secret. God sees what nobody else sees. The important things even that are not visible on the outside, God sees. And when you pray, Jesus says in verse 7, do not keep on babbling like pagans. I love this. Stop talking so long in your prayers. For they think they think they will be heard because of their many words. If I just keep on going, God will eventually listen. I'll persuade him. Do not be like them either. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need and cares about what you need even before you ask him. And yet Jesus teaches us to pray. It's about our relationship with God, not just making sure God has information, right? God has information, but God wants his relationship with us, and so Jesus teaches us to pray. And then after some of these negative examples, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. It's got my attention now, and he begins this way. Our Father in heaven. Okay, I learned something right there. God is not just my Father, but our Father, right? God is concerned not just about my life, but about the lives of all his people. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. You don't use Hallowed a lot in daily conversation, do you? I think the word word means something like to revere or to honor, to to regard with honor. God, we want to see your name receive the honor that it's due. And so we learn here that our Father in heaven deserves honor. Your kingdom come. Our, Our Father who knows us is also the king of heaven and earth. We pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I learn here about our heavenly Father that his concern is not just for some heaven far away, but that God's concern is for earth. For us right here, for our daily needs, we're going to learn more about in a minute. For the structures and practice of our life and society together, God cares about things happening on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. We learned about our Heavenly Father that he is a provider, that he cares about our daily needs and cares for us. And forgive us our debts. Some of you may know this prayer already in a different translation and Christians love to have different translations of this, forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our debts. In any case, we know that we owe God a debt of honor and worship and a debt of love to our fellow human beings. And Oftentimes we fail to live up to these debts and these things are called sins and trespasses and we pray that God would forgive us for these things. And so Jesus teaches us to believe here that our God is a God who forgives. That may or may not be the image that we attach to our fathers, but our Heavenly Father forgives And then we say, as we also have forgiven our debtors, as we forgive those who have debts to us. I've heard it said that forgiveness, everybody's in favor of forgiveness as a concept, until somebody really hurts you, right? And we pray for this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our God forgives, our God wants to see forgiveness among us, and then our God rescues us. Our God is one who protects us and saves us. So here's what I want to do. That, that list of attributes of God, on, on the one hand, everything on that list is understandable at some level. We know what the words mean, and this is accessible right away at a certain level. And yet, if, if you kept a list there or even made mental notes, and you may have seen many more things than what I, the short list that I called out, these are ways that we can begin to understand the character of God as we know God in Jesus right away. And yet, if you were to reflect on that list, I think you would also find that it's deep enough to spend the rest of your life sinking into, coming to know more and more about God's concern for the whole world, for myself and for others, the way that he provides and forgives and rescues and sees what the rest of us don't even pay attention to half the time. The God to whom we pray, Jesus teaches us, is the cosmic king of heaven and earth who deserves honor, the cosmic king of heaven and earth, the maker and sustainer of all that is, and yet also... Loves you, cares about you, is the friend of sinners who knows you and knows what you need even before you ask. And the one who's close to us and knows us individually is also the cosmic king of heaven and earth, the maker and sustainer of all that is. What an amazing, what an amazing truth, what an amazing claim that that would be the God who knows us. As we grow in knowing God, as we grow in relationship with God, I'd like to give you this prayer as a prayer to pray, as a, as a model to pray, this prayer that we often call our Lord's Prayer, or I've also heard it called the Disciple's Prayer, the prayer that we learn to pray as we are apprenticed and discipled to Jesus. I love that name for it too. This prayer on its own is a prayer that we can pray just exactly as it is. I pray this prayer almost every day of my life, nearly every day. Oftentimes I pray it more than once by myself, with my kids, with you, in worship, and meetings here at church. This prayer teaches us, informs us, it teaches us how to pray. And as it does so, I think it also becomes not only words that we repeat and learn verbatim, but it becomes also a model for prayer, a way that we learn to express our own words in prayer. And so let me give you an example of this in the the beginning of this prayer, and then I want to, after that, give you an exercise for how we can practice this together. So, you know, I, I begin by praying our Father in heaven, and I'm reminded of these same things that I told you, God, you are not only for me, but for your whole world, and I pray that you would expand my heart so that as you are a father to everyone, that you would make me a brother to everyone, that you would make us brothers and sisters to everyone, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. I care about your honor. You deserve honor. You are the cosmic king of heaven and earth, and oftentimes your name is dishonored by my life, and your name is dishonored by the decisions that I make. I would love for your name to be honored, and I want to conform my will to yours. In fact, I would like more people to hallow your name, more people to honor you and know your goodness for their lives than already do. So make my life a testimony to your goodness. Help me to share your love and grace with others. I'd like to see your name be hallowed. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is to acknowledge that God's will is not always done on earth yet as it is in heaven, nor that God's kingdom has yet fully come among us. To tell the truth in my life, oftentimes my will is done, even when it's contrary to God's in my life. And by his amazing grace and wisdom and power, he forgives me for this and folds my wandering paths back into his path again. But oftentimes I see to it that my will is done, even when it's not God's. And That happens not only individually, but it happens in our families and even our church community and our society It's not always your will that's being done and I pray that it would be and I submit my will to yours and I pray that we together would do that and see your will be done, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And then I want to give you this exercise here as a way we continue to do this. Let's put a slide up on the screen here. We can learn to pray this. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. There are lots of needs we have in our daily lives and Jesus has taught us to pray for them, to believe that God cares about them. Give us this day And what is it that you need in your daily life? What's your daily bread? A job that you need, providence, sustenance, healing, many things that we can pray for that we need in our lives. Jesus teaches us to believe that God cares about these things, and I think then also teaches us to care for each other. As we pray that God would meet our needs, we realize that we may very well be the answer to somebody else's prayer, and God wants wants to meet those needs through us, and we become sensitive to the needs of all people everywhere and even those who are near to us. Forgive us for. One of the things that I've learned as a parent, learning to pray with my kids, was the temptation that we all faced, and only kind of became more obvious to me as I was teaching my kids to pray. Is that sometimes we would pray things like, God, please forgive me if I have disobeyed you in any way today. Well, okay, that's good. (laughs) That's a good prayer. But how about forgive me for when I did this? Right? It's important, I think, to acknowledge I have wronged people in my life. Not only have I done the wrong thing sometimes, I've failed to do the right thing when God needed me to be the person on duty in that spot to do what God needed done. Forgive me for those things and help me forgive. All right, I said this already, we're all in favor of forgiveness as an abstract concept, but when somebody really grieves you, when somebody wrongs you and breaks relationship with you, it can be easier to grasp for bitterness than to grasp for forgiveness and to release that poison. Help me forgive this person. Help me forgive this wrong. And God, rescue me from. I trust you. I know that I am not adequate to every challenge that I face, and I need your salvation. I need your help, your protection, and your rescue. Rescue me from. And in this way, the prayer that Jesus taught his first disciples and us becomes also the prayer of our hearts and the very circumstances of each of our lives. And what we come to learn is this remarkable truth. The remarkable claim of Christianity is that the cosmic king of heaven and earth, the maker and sustainer of all that is, is also your heavenly father, our heavenly father, who knows what we need even before we ask him, who loves us, knows us, and cares about our needs. That is not a truth to be taken for granted and not a truth to be lived without. And in just a moment, we're going to practice this prayer a little bit here and then carry it out throughout the week as a way of coming to know and remember who it is who's on the other end of the line, to know the character of the God that Jesus came to be for us, to show us and reveal to us. So I'm going to close this time of reflection on God's word in a short prayer, and then we'll continue to practice and learn to pray together. So let's pray right now. God, it's a gift. It's an incredible gift of your grace that you made such a thing as prayer, that you would want to hear from us and be in relationship with us. I fear that we take that too much for granted. And so as as we respond to you, even in our fragmentary knowledge, what little bit of you we know, I pray that you would teach us more and more about yourself. You've already spoken to us in Jesus. And I pray that you would form our hearts to know you, and to trust who you are for us to come to know you more and more as our powerful, joyful, holy, gracious Heavenly Father to whom we pray as we live in Jesus' name.